mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Here now, Pastor Moody. Hallelujah. Nehemiah, chapter 1. The Bible said the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year I was in Shushan, the palace. I want you to know that he was carried away captive into Persia. He was sitting there uh, as a cupbearer to the king. He said, Then Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, some of the Jews, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. The heart of every Jew always thinks of Jerusalem. That's why David uh, said, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And he went on and said, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also was broken down. The gates thereof were burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down, wept, and mourned certain days and fasted. Everybody say, and fasted. And prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy. Everybody say mercy. For them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray, for, pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. I want you to notice the confession of Nehemiah. I've sinned. My fathers, which means the generations before me, have sinned. Our families have sinned. The church has sinned. As a result of that, we're in captivity. Our nation is destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem, the city of God, are burned down. The temple is rifled. The gates are destroyed. It's, it's laid open to the enemy to come in and do as he will. He's taken everything. But he said, you're a God that keeps covenant and mercy. Mercy. Covenant is a law. Covenant requires action on both parts. If you don't do your part, you lose. You fail. You get carried away. But there's that word mercy. I'm going to preach this morning on a thought. Mercy, mercy, mercy. A little while you'll know, later you'll know why I said mercy three times. But I want to tell somebody when you've been devastated, when the enemy's come in and torn down the walls which represent your protection, the gates which represent entrance for the favor and the blessing of God, when it seems like everything is destroyed, your marriage is in shambles, 
It seems like your finances have been just devoured. Everything is going wrong. And most importantly, your spiritual life is barren and you're desolate today. I hear God saying, mercy, mercy, mercy. Would you raise your hands with me and just say that? Say, mercy, mercy, mercy. Father, in the name of Jesus, let us have mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. I want you to think of me, if you would, about Nehemiah. He's there in the palace at Shushan. He is a cupbearer, which means he's the head servant to the king. He's not just a low-profile man, but he's really someone that's in charge, if you study this, of, of he's over those that prepare the food. He's over those that prepare the things for the king's comfort. He's more like the supervisor than just the cupbearer. It's his responsibility if the king says to taste that food, drink from that cup lest there be poison, your life is at risk to save mine. So he was in a very trusted, very lofty position. If you can imagine his frustration and disappointment when word comes to him about Jerusalem, it's his city, it's his heritage, it's his spirituality, it's his religion, it's destroyed. Everything is gone. He finds himself feeling hurt and broken because of his people. I want to tell you when you get to a place where the enemy is attacked and torn down, you must face the choices that are set before you. God put a word in my spirit this week as I was studying. And I came across something that really spoke to me and it says, Nehemiah had a choice. He had authority with the king. He could have asked the king to send armies and to retaliate for what had been done to Jerusalem. But instead of retaliating, he asked to rebuild. God began to deal with my heart that there have been things in my life that have torn down things that meant a lot to me. And I'm glad that as I look back over my life, there were times that I chose to rebuild rather than to retaliate. There have been times when relationships have been jeopardized, when people that I loved and trusted, I felt like wounded me. I could either retaliate or rebuild. Can, you get a, can I get a witness? There have been times in my marriage, in my relationship with my family, even with my own children, that there's been friction, there's been problems, disagreements, discord. I could either retaliate or I could rebuild. I want to get that in your spirit today. It doesn't matter really in this life at all, at all, at all, what anybody does to you. What matters is how you respond to what they do to you. Your choice will always be clear. I feel the Holy Ghost. You'll have the choice to retaliate or to rebuild, to rebuild the walls, to repair the gates, to seek out the wherewithal from the king, the authority, the span of time, the direction, what you need, the materials, to rebuild that thing that's so precious to you. If it's a relationship between husband and wife, parent and child, a relationship between you and a friend or a co-worker, most importantly, your relationship between you and God, 
God. I've known people, Brother Ray, that have got angry with God because God didn't do what they thought he ought to do when they thought he ought to do it. But my question is, what will you do? Will you retaliate or will you rebuild? Can I preach what I feel this morning? I've known couples that have had marriages that have been combat, battle, struggle, arguing, bitterness, anger. You hear retaliation in their voice, but never do you see much rebuilding going on. I, can I shout it? A kind word turns away wrath, and a merry heart does good. The Bible said like a medicine. Can I tell you in your words, there's power. There's the power of life and death in your words. You can say words that heal, or you can say words Words that wound. You can say words that retaliate or you can say words that rebuild. And this is where God's bringing us today. Can I shout it? Let's rebuild what the enemy has torn down. Give him praise if you would. Oh, mercy, 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 Lord. As I started to look to this scripture, there were some things that, that, that spoke to me about Nehemiah. First of all, he knew that this only, uh, when he knew this not only spoke of Israel's past failures, but it also spoke of their vulnerability. When he looked back and said, oh, the sin that's destroyed the walls, that's destroyed the gates, that's brought us where we are. I want to tell you, when I look at America today, and when I look at great cities in America that once produced the wealth of the world, Cities like Detroit this week. I didn't see it, but I was told about a documentary of Detroit and Michigan. Do you know that Detroit and Michigan was the first city in the world to have paved streets? Did anybody know that? That's just a little fact that I learned some time ago. And did you know that the big three, the big three automakers, when the automotive industry began to explode in America, that Detroit became the, the citadel, if you would, of manufacturing and industry. From Detroit, Ford and General Motors and Chrysler, Amen. They produced not only automobiles that went around the world, but jobs and, and the wealth of the, this nation and the world were literally exploded by them. But now that city is laying in shambles. They were saying this week that the schools were so bad that the teachers walked out because the buildings are falling down and rats and mice and, and roaches have infested the schools and, and it's not safe for the children anymore. They appointed a man to try to correct the problem and gave him a few hundred thousand dollars and he said I need billions to rebuild this, the infrastructure of the city of Detroit. You can go to the inner city of New York City. You can go to LA. You can go anywhere. You can go to Richmond in the inner city and you'll find devastation of morals, devastation of family values. You'll find traditional America is crumbling around us. The walls are falling. The Bible said if the righteous be, if the foundations be destroyed what shall the righteous 
righteous do. Amen. We took the Ten Commandments out of the school back in the 60s and Roe versus Wade brought in abortion. And now we're in the streets of our cities. We've got, we did, one of those commandments is thou shalt not kill. Another one is thou shalt not steal. Sounds pretty practical to me. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife or anything that's his. Done away with the Ten Commandments. We've got a nation full of bloodthirsty, murdering, thieving, drug dealing. Uh, come on, somebody adultery, everything in the world that's reaping, that's just raping America and stealing the heart of the I don't mean to be a prophet of doom, but I've come to tell you, I hear God saying, it's not retaliation America needs. I'm not mad at the Democrats. I'm not mad at the Republicans. I'm not mad at the, at the Supreme Court and it's all their fault and it's our fault because we didn't pray and the church didn't stand up and I think it's time rather than retaliate, let's rebuild, let's fast, let's pray, let's get a hold of God, let's get what we need to rebuild our own communities. Can you say amen? Oh, hallelujah. Doesn't matter what the devil's done. Doesn't matter what the enemy says. It's what God says. Can you say amen? I thought like this prayer and fasting did something to Nehemiah. This man elevated, living in a lofty position. It humbled him, even in his position, to identify with the people. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He said, I said unto them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Watch this. Come let us. He didn't say me. He said us. Build up the wall of Jerusalem. He said the distress we are in. Then he said that we be no more reproached. Then he said, I told them of the good of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and the king's words which he had spoken to me. But then we notice what he said. And they said, let us rise up. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. What it did was change Nehemiah from saying you and I are your problem and my problem to saying us, we, our. We need to get together in this thing and realize that God has brought us to a place to be the effective tool, the effective army. I was talking yesterday and I said, you know what? There needs to be another American revolution. Are you hearing me? There needs to be another American revolution. This time not with guns and cannon. We don't need another Valley Forge. Can you say amen? But what we need is an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, heartfelt, Holy Ghost, sin-killing, blood-preaching, repentance-preaching, Revival in America. The church whoo, needs to go to God and say, Lord, look at our cities. Look at our nation. When Nehemiah became of a, a sad countenance, the king said, what's wrong with you? I know you're not ill. He stood there and he prayed. And he said, oh king, my city, my heritage, my home is laid in ruin. And fasting and prayer has caused me to identify with the plight of the people. And I'm ready not to retaliate, but I'm ready to build. I'm ready to show mercy. So the first mercy came from the man of God. 
Let me tell you something, Richmond House of Prayer. Before you get on your self-righteous high horse and look down your pious nose at somebody who's living like hell, remember where you came from. If it hadn't been for the Lord, Proverbs said we would have perished in the land of the living. We'd have died and went to hell. Can I get a witness? But God in his mercy, while we were yet sinners, can I get, somebody say mercy. The whole message of the Bible is mercy. I begin to think like this. God often stirs people's hearts before he ever moves in their circumstances. God often, how many has been stirred before, before God ever moved in your problem? Sister Sharon, there's been times that God's had to stir my heart about my children. God's had to stir my heart about my in-laws. There's been time God's had to stir my heart about my brothers and my family. There was times God had to stir my heart about church members. God had to stir my heart, come on somebody, about what was going on around me. And before I could complain and before I ever stood up to fight against it, God made me kneel down and begin to pray about it. He often stirs our hearts before he changed the circumstances. That's what happened to Nehemiah. Here I am living in the king's house, eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine, living the big life, hallelujah. And then all of a sudden, God causes me to identify with destruction, to identify with death, identify with what it means to be a prisoner, a captive. He causes me to realize that ain't everybody living the good life like I'm living. I dare you turn around and lay your hand on somebody and say, ain't God blessed you real good. Tell them, say, ain't God blessed. That may not be good English, but say it, ain't God blessed blessed you real good now I dare you look at them and say think about somebody else who's living in destruction living in the valley of the shadow of death I feel the Lord's hand upon me right now they're living out there in bondage they're out there strung out they're out there hung over they're out there by themselves they're living almost in a point of suicide maybe sitting with pistol in hand or sleeping pill bottle ready to overdose and God's saying I'm looking for somebody that can identify with that and begin to show mercy and not retaliation. Time to rebuild. I thought Nehemiah, his curiosity. What, what, what about my people? What about, what about my city? I, I want to challenge you. Get out of your comfort zone. Before you drive to your nice home in the suburbs after work tomorrow, drive through the, through the east end of town. Drive, drive to some place where they're living rough. Look up somebody homeless. And, and with Nehemiah's curiosity, well, what's it really like out there? Ooh, what are they really going through? You know what happened to him? It changed him. His curiosity turned into a calling. I love it. His curiosity. There's, there, there's something got a hold of me. Amen. 37 years ago. And, and, and it turned into a calling. It turned into a life-altering, changing experience. Now, I'm not saying every one of you are called to preach, but every one of you are called to preach. 
Not every one of you is called to pulpit ministry, but every one of you is called to ministry. Not Every one of us is called, amen, to let that curiosity about the depravity, the, 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 the depth of man's sins, the, the, the deterioration of a society, the death that's prevailing everywhere. And we pick up the paper and we read it. Oh, there he is. He's 24 years old. He died at home this week. Probably just another overdose. I'm going on. Got to go eat a hamburger. Then we pick up the paper the next night and, and we read what there's another one, 35 years old, a drug overdose, and you see the picture in the paper. They look like hell has got a hold of them. When they put, when they're booking them in jail, I recently saw a woman's picture that I know, and I, when I saw it, it looked like some old hag. Didn't look like the woman I knew. I said, "Look at there, what drugs has done." Give me another cup of coffee and a cookie. Does anybody know what I'm saying? You've got to go to Bamba to Moshatia. You've got to get to the place where your curiosity changes and brings you into a call where you say I'm not going to retaliate I'm going to rebuild I'm going to I'm going to the king I'm going to ask for what I need to make a difference to make give him a praise if you would hallelujah let me hurry let me hurry let me hurry hallelujah Oh, God. Have your way, Lord. For I will touch the heart of my beloved, for no one else will listen. I will touch the heart of those who seek me, who have humbled themselves by prayer, by fasting, by longing for my presence. Those who really want to see my face will feel my touch. I will speak to you. I will direct you. I will send you. So be listening. Be ready. For I, the Lord, will do a work in this last day that will be astounding to those that see it, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you give him praise right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. The devil's a liar. We rebuke the devil. We will not retaliate. We'll rebuild. We'll rebuild. Hallelujah. I'm going to hurry. I, man, I had all kinds of stuff to preach this morning, but I feel myself winding down. The thing that I want you to understand was there was a result to what happened to Nehemiah. The result was one of the greatest engineering building and rebuilding feats in the history of the world. If you've never been to Israel, how many of you have been to Israel? How many have been there? Uh, just Sister Moody and a couple of more. If you know what it's like when you arrive up on the Mount of Olives and you look over Jerusalem and you see that wall, how vast and how great, then it was much greater than what's left now. And for them to rebuild this wall, you've got to understand it wasn't block layers and brick layers. You've got to understand that the, that the stones in the walls of the city of Jerusalem, it would take a crane to move them. And I don't know how they moved them then, but they did. So you've got to understand this was, this was an engineering masterpiece from a man who was a, 
for better lack of a better definition, he was a short order uh, uh, waiter. Can you say amen? Really know nothing about it. How many knows it doesn't matter what you know, it's what God says. And what happened was the greatest rebuilding event of history. They accomplished quickly what others thought to be impossible. If you look at chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, he says, so we finished, so the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, hello. And he says, let me explain. That was 52 days. Y'all didn't get that, did you? He said, in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. And it came to pass when our enemies heard thereof, and the heathen that were about to saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. When we retaliate and we fight in the flesh, everybody in the world knows it. But when we get humbled and get in the presence of God and the Lord begins to move through us, even our enemies know it's a work of God. The answer to the problems in Madison County and the world is a move of God. And God moves through us. We. Our situation. When we humble ourselves and pray. Let me, let me just briefly finish here. What happened was that when they started the build, that Tobiah and some other enemies of, of Israel, they began to threaten Nehemiah. When they threatened him, he prayed. Hallelujah. When they, when they, when they began to scoff at him, the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 14, they, they literally scoffed at him, made fun of him. And when they did, he said, I looked up and rose up in verse 14 and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Can I tell you something? Today the world will scoff you for standing in holiness, for standing in righteousness, for praying and fasting and, and seeking God for a move of the Spirit. But don't let that hinder you. You're fighting by this. You're fighting for your children and your grandchildren and your nation and your society. You're fighting for our public school system. We're fighting for our government. Come on somebody. We have a great heritage. Men and women laid their lives on the line to give us what we've got. We must not allow the scoffers to dishearten us. The next thing I want you to know is when the enemy threatened them. The enemy lied on them and threatened them and said, we know what you're doing. You've built that wall and said, you're, you're going to make yourself a king. And you've been telling people that. Sent a letter to Nehemiah and said, come down to the valley of Ono and let's talk. We know what you're doing. And he sent them back another letter and said, you're a liar. That's what it said in hillbilly talking. ain't what it said in King James English. He said, everything you're saying is not true. You're just a liar. 
I'm not going to be a king. I'm just rebuilding my heritage, praise God. And then the, the enemy, you know what he did? He sent somebody from inside. And there's a, there's a, a woman by the name of Delaiah, not Delilah, close, but Delaiah, and, and a prophet that came to him and said, I tell you what, let's do. They're coming to kill you, Nehemiah. Let's go in the temple. Let's shut the door. Let's hide. Because if you do that, you'll be spared. You know what he said? Hide should such a man as I What's happened to this guy? I mean, a few days ago, he's, he's drinking wine in the king's palace and eating high on the hog and living good. But now he's saying, forget you. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to fight. Then he says, I knew it wasn't the Lord. I knew that it, they were, it was a trick. The enemy had hired them. And can I tell you, sometimes the enemy will send a wolf in sheep's clothing and say, you don't need to pray. You don't need to fast. You don't need to seek God. You don't need to stay in church. You don't need to be faithful and be a witness and work for God. You don't, oh, I'm going to get down where you're living now. You don't need to tithe. You don't need to teach a Sunday school class. You don't need to help them out with the church bus or, or a Wednesday night program. Oh, don't shout me down now. You just need to sit back and hide in the house of God and get all spiritual and goosebumpy. No, I've come to tell you, such a man as I will not sit down. I will not quit. That's what Nehemiah said. I will not. Can I tell you something I learned about ministry a long time ago? Every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body. Amen? Whether they were good or bad. Now everybody's going to heaven that makes it terrible. Some of them are going to get a whooping and go in empty-handed. And I can prove that by the word of God. But, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying if God gave you a ministry, you better be faithful to it. If God gave you a talent, you better use it and use it every moment you can. Come on, somebody. If God gave you a class or a, or a position or, or an instrument or a song or a message or whatever it is, you better not shut down. You better not shut up. You better not sit down. If your body's able, you push it to the limits. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. Y'all don't know this. I'm standing up there preaching a while ago. My heart started running away with me. I got short of breath. I didn't know what was happening. The devil said, you better quit. I said, I can't. Got a message burning in my heart. I, God, well, a man like me, I'd quit running. No, sir, there's something to be accomplished in this work of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me, let me hurry. Let me hurry. Don't nobody get nervous. I feel wonderful right now. Praise God. Woo! Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say, Woo! Hallelujah. Well, come on, shout for me, will you? I'm shouting because I feel good. Praise God. Glory. Let me hurry. Let me hurry. Hallelujah. Then all of a sudden, wall was built. Victory was won. And the Bible says that something happened. They went outside and it says that Ezra stood upon a pulpit made of wood. Ezra the scribe. And when he stood up, he began to speak and the Bible said when he did, he began, the people began to listen. They began to rejoice. In chapter 8 of, of, of uh, Nehemiah, it said, Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And you all think I'm long-winded? He read from early morning till noonday. He read the word of God in their hearing. Amen. 
And uh, it said that he did it from morning till midday before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all that were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which the people had made for that purpose. And the Bible says when they begin to hear what God had done, you know what they begin to do? They begin to shout. You know what they shouted? I'm going to show you. They shouted about what God had done and said, mercy. Then they shouted another time about what God had done and found the word, mercy. Then they shouted another time and said, mercy. Oh, say it with me. Mercy, mercy, mercy. I'm here to tell you today that God is a triune God. And I want to tell you it's by His mercy that He loved us and saved us. The Bible said the Lord is good, His truth is everlasting. His, His mercy is everlasting, His truth endures to all generations. His mercy is everlasting. It never stops. It never runs out. And the scripture said in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, it's talking about the people. said, God, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought water for them out of the rock. You promised them that they would go in and possess the land. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, hardened their necks, hearkened not to your commandment, refused to obey, neither were mindful of your wonders that you did for them and among them. But they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a captain to return to bondage. You might remember that. They wanted to go back to Egypt. But listen, but thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious, and here's the word, and merciful. Somebody say mercy. Slow to anger and great kindness and forsook them not. Goes on. Yea. And when they had made a, a molten calf and said, This is the God that brought thee out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations. What Remember when Moses come off the mountain, they were worshiping that calf in his hand. He's got two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Moses lost it. He threw it into the camp, broke the commandments. Retaliation, can you say amen? But listen to God's heart. Moses got angry, and there was a judgment that took place. But listen to God's heart. He said, when they did that, yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. And the pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day and in the way, and neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way that they should go in. In other words, he was saying, God, your mercy, regardless what they did, mercy. I want the church to get there, regardless what they say, mercy. Regardless what they do, mercy. Regardless how they act, mercy. How many will say, I'd rather rebuild than to retaliate? I want to be merciful. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Hallelujah. One more thing. Nick, I'm closing. Come on. He said in the latter part of chapter 9, he said, yea, many years, verse 30, did you forbear them and testified against them by thy spirit in thy prophets. And when it says testified against them, it means God tried to show them where they were, how they were living. I'm going to tell you something. You can sit in church service after service after service. And I can preach till I turn inside out. As a man told me one day, he said, I watched you on television preaching. He said, I thought you was having a stroke. I said, what? He said, your face got so red. 
It looked like your head was going to explode. And I said, you see what this does to a preacher? It's hard on you. Y'all don't know this, but sometimes after I preach twice on Sunday, I barely get through the door at the house. I fall in the chair, just about prop my feet up, holler at that woman, come help me. Praise God. Bring me something to eat. Bring me something to drink. It just, it, it's, the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Something about, I mean, you can give a book report. If you preach on the anointing, it'll wear you smack out. Can you say amen? And he said, you testified against them by the prophets, yet they would not give ear. You gave, therefore, gave us thou him into the hand of the people of the lands. In other words, you let them be overtaken. Then it says, verse 31, Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious God. When I read that word, I wept. You didn't completely consume them. There's some people on my heart that I've witnessed to for years, prayed for for years, and they're still not saved. And I was praying for them. I told, mentioned Gail the other day, I said, God's put them on my heart in this fast, and I'm praying. And when I look at our families and people right close to us, they're destroyed. They're drugged and drunk. They're, they're living, some of them, Everything in the world's important but God. They'll curse you if you talk to them about God. But I let, when I read that word, Nehemiah said, You spoke to them by prophets. You spoke to them by the Spirit. You even let them be devastated and let the, the people of the land overtake them. And then he said, But according to your mercy, you didn't completely forsake them. Well, Don, they might be bad, but they're not completely forsaken. Somebody needs to get a hold of that. Your family member may be strung out five days a week on dope, but they're not completely forsaken. They've got an in. You know what that means, an in? That means they got somebody on the inside. Who? You. You. They've got an intercessor. They've got somebody, as Ezekiel said, standing in the gap making up the hedge before God and them as their go-between. That's why the devil don't want you to fast and pray for them. He wants you to get mad at them, retaliate against them. He wants you to talk about them, that no good, sorry thing ain't fit for another. I would to God, somebody would say, I'm ready to rebuild. I'm ready to get a hold of the king. Old Nehemiah, the king said, all right, what do you want? He said, well, I need a span of time. Must have been a prophetic word because he went and did it in 52 days. Should have took, should have took decades to rebuild it. Took 50, a decade's 10 years. I, I'm, I studied that and I thought what, how long it took them to build it. Keith, it should have took them 30 years to rebuild it. They did it in 52 days. That's the magnitude of this thing. And then he said, what else you need? He said, well, I need some letters, some authority when I go through other people's countries that they won't bother me. And then I need some letters of requisition. I need to tell the people that Hugh Timbers over in the, the Cedars of Lebanon, I need them to send me, because you can't build the, the city of God back with junk. Can I get a witness? 
We need the good stuff, the cedars of Lebanon. I need the timbers of the land. I need, I need the best that there is. I need some letters of requisition. And the king said, in your hand is the authority to go anywhere you need to go and get whatever you need. How many understand that's us? But you'll never get it by retaliation. You only get it by a rebuilding heart, fasting, praying, seeking God, and crying mercy. Stand with me if you would. And set our hearts on you, Lord, come and We hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.